his relationship to Freud was very much um, a paternal, well, a child to a father, and this this is this is known. Everybody knows this. Uh, Jung has admitted it. It's in the Freud Jung letters. It's a fact of history that he had a very powerful father transference onto Freud, who didn't disabuse him of that particularly. To be fair. Um, you could argue that that's a norm, if you like, for the way that the psychoanalytic method is used, uh, that they do encourage parental transferences in order to uncover the neuroses latent in the person that they're working with. So most of you guys have found Young to Live By and the work of Steve and Pauline here through the ION series that I did or started about two years ago on the Uberboyo channel with Uberboyo himself. And it was very entertaining, it was good fun, and for seemingly no reason became incredibly popular. But, you know, two years has passed in that time, two years of my own development under your mentorship. And so I think it's time very soon, not quite today, but very soon, to revisit this wonderful book and maybe give it a second look through. And so in order to prepare for that, what we're going to be doing is going through all of Carl Jung's collected works, except the general index, pretty much at the very, very end, to, to see which ones of those volumes are uh, potentially worth visiting first, which ones are potentially not worth visiting whatsoever. And uh, I think that would be a, a good video as well off the back of our previous one, you know, our Depth Psychology Starter Kit, to give a general overview of, you know, um, an, an orientation of where somebody can go in this field. And of course, it's worth noting as well that this is the Bollingen series of Jung's collected works. So, of course, to start, where else would we start better than at the very, very beginning? At the very beginning. beginning, yeah. Thank you, James. Thanks for that. Um, just as a bit of a preamble to this, um, an issue everybody should have is starting with volume nine, part two. In effect, this is the 10th volume in a linear sense in Jung's collected works in the Bollingen series. This has been popularized. I'm sure everybody knows that on the internet and a lot of people have read it and in the context of their own life, some of them have gotten themselves into a bit of a mess because they don't understand the route that Jung traveled before he even got to uh, to that stage in his life mm. so as our series pr um, progresses we're going to be looking at Jung's personal myth we're going to be looking at how his ideas evolved and to introduce this we're going to start with um, a brief introduction to the Bollingen series as James has said when we get to Ion however today that will be quite a superficial look at it but we will be going in depth into that with yes. Ion revisited yes um, and that will be a, an update, as James has said, on the series that he produced a couple of years back. Yeah, it won't quite be 100 hours long like the previous <laughs> one. But yeah. uh, but no, I, I think yeah. it's very, very worthwhile doing. Especially as, I, I'm not sure about yourself and Pauline, but I get many questions still to this day about yeah. that particular series. It's because there's something in there that uh, obviously holds weight for people. Yeah. So I think it does yeah. people justice. Yeah. Well, uh, to be honest... Uh, it doesn't have any... Our perspective is clinical, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. It and has to be. It has to be. And from a clinical perspective, ions not got any relevance at all. And that might be a bit of a shock uh, to some people, particularly if their emphasis is on personal developments. But really, people need to understand how Jung arrived at ION, and then they're able to put it into its proper significance. Mm. So the place to start is not with Volume 9, Part 2, however important this may be it is here volume one psychiatric studies this is the foundation of Jung's work as a psychiatrist it's hugely significant basically it's built around Jung's doctoral thesis which was on the psychology and psychopathology of so-called occult phenomenon the absolute foundation, as I say, in psychiatric terms and in medical and psychotherapeutic terms of his work. So that is the place to start if you want to understand Jung. But then, of course, realise that Jung arrived at, at this place with his psyche and his personality pretty much already configured from his earlier life. And we'll be looking at some of the works uh, to do with that as well. But if you're going to understand Jung as a clinician, you have to start here, yeah. without a doubt. So everything that you will need to know to give you the impression of how he's developed starts with that volume. So psychiatric studies, for sure. 
It's also a, a seminal work on the psychology or the parapsychology, actually, uh, in terms of examining mediums, looking at uh, dissociative phenomenon, uh, hypnosis. You can see very clearly the influences of Jung's teachers, such as Pierre Janet, who was the successor um, and equivalent of Jean-Martin Chacot, who was uh, Freud's teacher at the Salpetriere in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, dissociation is such an important thing dissociation arises out of traumas it arises out of complex activity um, any kind of splitting in the psyche and even the work of neuropsychoanalysis now in the 21st century is identifying this process as being really really important and this as i say is, is a seminal or foundational work in that for those of you who are interested in hypnotic and parapsychological phenomenon you will gain a great deal from reading that book uh, Ouija boards are in there, uh, the planchette, uh, table tilting, idiomotor phenomenon, all sorts of information. So start with this, otherwise again this this lacks its context. So for sure, go to this volume first. Well, it's, it's, it's got a lot of the uh, cool stuff, you could say, yeah. that's in Ion, but it's starkly different even the way yeah. it's, it's, it's written. Because yeah. th th that's it, if you go straight to Ion, or even some of the other ones like psychology, alchemy, mysterium, etc. You might think that Jung was a philosopher. Yes. I think that's what lots yeah. of people really think. And he was like a part-time philosopher in his spare time, but ultimately yeah. he was a clinician. And so, you know, if you're interested in depth psychology as a field rather than a, a playground, yeah. then I, I concur, Steve. Start with that. Oh, yes, absolutely. He was a psychiatrist. He, he was indeed. I mean, a couple of things come to mind as you're both talking. One is obviously if you go and work in a field like psychiatry and you go in with a fracture line, the chances are it will affect you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and we know that that was likely to be to have been the case with, with Young as well. Yeah. The other point I was going to make too is that We've actually explored all of those phenomena oh, in yes. clinical practice oh, yes. and, and, and yeah. on our courses. Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're very familiar Indeed. with yeah. them and mm. uh, the kind of underlying processes at work. Yeah. yeah. So that's important too because it, it, yeah. can, it gives you a practical handle on where Jung was coming from. And, uh, if you yeah. don't expose yourself to those things yourself, you don't really understand that. No, absolutely. And people will come in if you're a clinician suffering from the influence of what they believe to be the occult uh, or even under the influence of stage hypnotists yes. or very very poor hypnotherapists and there are a lot of them out there who uh, mm. as there are poor psychotherapists who cause a great deal of damage to people and when superstition sets in then you find that the unconscious reacts in a typically paranormal or occult sense yeah. although having said that the paranormal is a common phenomenon when you work in depth oh yeah and if you're going to have a foundation, for example, in understanding synchronicity, you need to understand this. Yeah. Uh, because these things do conflate very, very closely. So it's, it's a vitally important uh, document. It's, as I say, foundational for parapsychology, uh, foundational even for hypnosis in some sense mm. as well. And particularly if you're of a Jungian or psychodynamic orientation and wish to use hypnotic methods in your practice. So, yeah. Of course, we, we know Jung had this in his background too because of his relationship to his mother. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Tended to be superstitious. Yes, and, she did. And that obviously influenced his anima development and so on. Yes. You could see why he would be drawn to those kinds yes. of things. Yes. This was his foundational work, as I say, with respect to the Berg Holsley, uh, where he worked with Eugen Bleuler, who was the chief. Um, he was an intern there and he was working with unbuffered schizophrenics and psychotics of all kinds, mm. uh, people in a far worse um, state than those that Freud and Breuer were working with, who were ordinary, if I can use the expression, neurotics rather than psychotics. Mm. So when he first encountered them, he brought his earlier life with him, all mm. of the superstitious elements from his mother, his own personal interests, all the things that you find in memories, dreams, reflections, mm. were pre-configured and ready to roll when he encountered yeah. uh, people with those conditions. So it's absolutely foundational. Mm. Right, ex uh, volume two, experimental researches. This is of particular importance really for Pauline and I. I'll just place it here. This was Jung's experimental psychology work he also did at the Berg Holsley. Um, this was the book that got Sigmund Freud interested in Carl Jung. Um, it's also a foundational work with respect to such things as the lie detector test 
um, because of uh, Jung's use of physiological stress testing with a whole range of different people. Um, it would include galvanised skin response, it would include blood pressure and it would include movements of the chest wall and the abdomen with a machine called a pneumograph which would show how people were breathing. Uh, in response to a series of stimulus words that formed what we call the young Ricklin word association test. That's after Franz Ricklin, who was a collaborator at the Berkholsley with Young, and after whom Franz Young was named. He was a close professional colleague and friend of Carl Young. So what we derive from that is the reality of complexes. That is so important, massively important that they are psychophysiological, uh, that they are psychosocial, and in a psychophysiological sense, Jung demonstrated how the psyche can download itself into the body and take form as physiological symptoms. Hugely important, and an extension of the work of Breuer and Freud in their work, Studies on Hysteria, from 1895. Jung sent a copy of this book to Freud, and that led to their collaboration so again in that sense it's hugely important the sad thing about it is that if Jung had continued with his work on complexes there would have been no historical reason for the later development of behavioral and cognitive behavioral therapy mm. um, it would never have happened the sad thing as I say is that as Jung moved away from this so too did his later followers and they've largely lost the skill of working with complexes and yet complexes are the bread and butter of your work as mm. a therapist. So it's a hugely important landmark volume yet again uh, and it also influenced Sigmund Freud to accept the notion of complexes. In 1909 when Freud went to America, to Clark University, to deliver a series of uh, lectures. Uh, he took Young with him and a number of other people as well. And in the papers published in the Five Essays volume of uh, Freud's collected papers and works, uh, he references Young and Eugen Bleuler's work on complexes as being of great significance. When they subsequently split uh, and parted, Young started to drift away from the importance of instinct and Freud started and in fact completely separated himself away from the notion of complexes mm. and we have suffered from that issue for the past 110 years at least so it, it's a landmark volume I would highly recommend it. So at this stage in Jung's career did he believe that mind and body were two sides of the same coin? Absolutely mm. absolutely. So I know later on in his career he explicitly says the opposite it's yeah. in volume 18, yeah, there's the symbolic yeah, life, the symbolic life, yeah, he gives, yeah. and, which is, a, a, again, if you put it in the context of what you, you've just said, how important the individual men are, the individual works are, and what's happened in terms of CBT being produced, yeah. it's like, yeah. as we introduced it in terms of ion, it's like, oh, dearie me, oh, dearie, dearie, dearie me, spoiler alert. Yeah, indeed, absolutely. Um, but if you want to understand mind-body relationships, this is an excellent source, and remember, this builds on psychiatric studies. If, if you're trying to understand Jung, you need to know these two volumes, uh, mm. along with the next two, which will put you right in the frame of where Jung was at when he was working with Freud. And also you'll see the precursor to his breakdown, which he later called a, a creative illness. Other people regarded it as being a psychotic phase of his life, which perhaps he never fully recovered from. Controversial. Uh, but if you look at the evidence, you can come objectively, I hope, to your own perspective on mm. that. But yeah, the, the, this is still good now. We, we still use the, the mm. word association test and we still use psychophysiological testing. And it's so clinically efficacious, you can get to things so quickly. Uh, and yet it's been largely forgotten, which is a huge shame. And I'm afraid that the, the fault of that is with Jung and with Freud. It does make you wonder, though, if he hadn't been destabilised in the way that he was during his, his psychiatric days, that maybe history would have been different. It, it would. probably would mm. have been. Yeah, it, it would. It would. Uh, the psychodynamic movement would not have split. Mm. Um, it would have been a whole body, mind-body and mind-body environment science, mm. uh, clinical science, the kind of thing that has been we can say revivified since the 1980s with the work of George Engel, Rossi, Mark Solms and yes. ourselves. 
Um, and there is a, a coming shift, uh, a third wave of Jungians who are going to emerge. You had the original, and then you had the post-Jungians, and now there is a third wave of them coming, who are psychophysiologically and psychosocially, psychoculturally orientated. Um, and, you know, we're part of that movement for sure. Uh, and it'll be great to see Freud and Jung brought back together within mm. the overall framework of psychophysiology and neuroscience. Mm. It's about time that happened. Mm. Okay, this is volume three, The Psychogenesis of Mental Disease. Again, this is a seminal volume and very, very important, both for Jung's development and for depth psychology as a whole. It's challenging in many respects. Amongst them is the notion that it is possible to bring about a mental disease from within the psyche itself, as opposed to it being a disorder of brain chemistry uh, or of the effect of the environment. The usual psychiatric and psychosocial models, Jung challenges that by saying that the psyche is so autonomous in nature that it can actually create a disease within itself. There are problems with this, of course, and mm. not everybody would agree with it. For example, Thomas Satz, the late Thomas Satz, um, a psychiatrist and uh, someone trained in psychoanalysis originally, argued that it's not possible to have a mental disease because the mental processes, not being organic in his view, uh, cannot have a disease as such. So the idea of a mental disease, it just doesn't work. And that's really been the view of psychiatry. Uh, subliminally if not explicitly probably for the past hundred years they are very organic in nature with, with respect to how they look at problems and it basically it's a disorder of the endocrine system and of neurotransmitters or of hereditary that kind of thing but the psychogenesis in other words the origin of something like schizophrenia being purely psychological that was challenging at the time, and it still is now. And it's a very, very moot point. Is it possible? I would argue yes, in some circumstances. So long as you remove this idea of mind and body being separate entities or separate things, and look at it in a different way, which would be, is it possible to generate a psychotic state in yourself purely through the influence of your own psychology? Now, if it's phrased that way, I would say absolutely. You can definitely do that. And the mechanism is the same as it is in many, many other forms of psychological disorder, and that is suggestion. There are two broad kinds of suggestion. Also suggestion that you give to yourself, hetero-suggestion that comes in from the environment from others. Environmental suggestion can be in the form of influence from a significant figure, that could be in your personal environment, or further beyond that, out in the culture through people that Jung called manner personalities, whom you see regularly today for example on the internet with internet entrepreneurs any kind of cultural factor or force can give you hetero suggestion which you then take in and then it can alter the way that you think and relate to your feelings and relate to your instincts how you handle imagery that kind of thing and that definitely through that form of suggestion and internal rumination and processing I am quite satisfied, can bring about psychotic states. Mm. They're not organic psychotic states, they're mm. different, mm. but they are nevertheless psychotic states. I mean, Paul and I, for example, know from our work and from the work of Alan and Agus in 1968 that you can hyperventilate yourself into a psychosis. Mm. And the problem with that is that once you've had the primary experience of doing that, you create a state, a whole mind, body, and perhaps social state, which you can replicate through auto-suggestion later on. So even when the the, uh, the factors that created it initially are missing, you can pick up the, the memory of that, the perseveration of that, and activate it yourself by regenerating the associative state and creating it in yourself. And that's the kind of thing that Jung goes on about in this volume. So this links very closely with Experimental Researches, Volume 2, and Volume 1, Psychiatric Studies. This is so overlooked, so overlooked, and it's a huge mistake. Again, if you're going to follow Jung's model, you need to know about this, because by the time you arrive at ION, and also those other volumes to do with alchemy, if you're not prepared, you're in danger of exposing yourself to ideas through suggestion through the medium of Jung as an image now in the culture. Yes. And he's not doing it 
He's not doing this to you. You're doing it to yourself or through manner personalities, internet entrepreneurs, cultural structures and systems. The suggestion will take and this can happen to you. And we know this because we work with people who've been affected by it. Yep. And we do day in and day out. Pretty much every single day. Pretty yeah. much every <laughs> pretty much every single day. Well Jung Jung himself said about neurosis, not even psychosis, mm. that we do recreate neurosis complexes every day. Yes. We, we have to feed them afresh every single day to maintain them. Yeah. You get up in the morning, you basically said, and yes. you, you put them together. You put you reassemble yeah, you them. Do. Uh, through the associative process and we now know that this is state dependent memory learning and behavior and that's mm -hmm. from the work of Rossi mm -hmm. the late Ernest Rossi professor Ernest Rossi who was a Jungian and a Freudian and a psychobiologist uh, and an early supporter of our work um, so vitally important again if you're making your journey to ION you need to follow the proper road Volume 1, Psychiatric Studies Volume 2, Experimental Researches which will teach you about complexes this one, volume three, the psychogenesis of mental disease, you can see what you might do to yourself. If you're a clinician as well, this is a foundational text. And if you're a clinician also, see it in its proper context. Don't dismiss this as being some old fashioned idea which ignores biology, um, ignores the effects of neurotransmitters, hereditary predispositions, uh, an organic disease process in the brain. Just take all of that for granted. This is an addition to that that gives you the background of how you can put yourself or one of your patients can put themselves in that state of being psychotic. Um, and that's without the ingestion of substances, by the way, which a lot of people do. Um, and it's the psychological effects of that that result in the psychogenesis of a mental condition rather than a disease. Yeah. Well, even psychiatry itself distinguishes between organic and inorganic states it does and, yeah. and yeah. those states that are labeled organic are sometimes they become that way because of the iatrogenic effects of the medication yes. even more than the fact that the mental illness itself is is some you know a disease process yeah, that's true so uh, that's important to bear in mind as well that if you it are is. ingesting substances whether they're legal or illegal yeah. substances yes. that that in and of itself can create changes in the brain. Yes, so it, it can. And the classic text on that over the past 30 years is Toxic Psychiatry yeah. by Peter Bregan that we will introduce in, in uh, the next series that we do, the next podcast we do on the essential reading. But you, you are quite right. They do look mm. at, at things like that. But the fundamental psychiatric model being biomedical is that ultimately um, schizophrenia, for example, yes. is organic. Yeah. Um, psychosis is a very broad mm. uh, category uh, and some people are fortunate enough to have a very brief episode, psychotic episode and get yes, back out again mm -hmm. without too much damage being yes. done to them yes. in terms of uh, a medical classification but fundamentally the biomedical model is that it's organic uh, and then you have this philosophical uh, position that you cannot have um, a mental disease hence the title here, the psychogenesis of, of uh, mental disease you, you've also had, many Many of you may not have heard of him, uh, Ronald Lang uh, and his book The Divided Self and his uh, notion of the schizophrenogenic mother, uh, the, the, the psychosocial factors in the form of the relationship to improper, should we say, bonding to the mother can lead to schizophrenia. Um, that's not popular anymore, it was in the 60s and 70s, but the organic model within psychiatry is, is gained ascendancy, partly because it's easy, it doesn't cost the psychiatrist anything to administer drugs mm. and to classify people as having an organic brain state. Uh, so within that broader uh, picture, you can look at this, obviously, but my own inclination would be to, to warn people, as that's the context of, of what we're doing today, of how you can bring this about in yourself through suggestion and influence from the environment. There's, there's potentially evidence for what you're saying in the neuropsychoanalytic literature mm. as well, because I distinctly remember reading Mark Solms saying that the, the psyche is not produced from the brain in the same way that, say, like the, the, the liver will produce bile yeah. or something like that. There's a relationship between them, and they're, they're, they're highly, highly connected, but it's not one leads to the other. That has to start at the beginning and move through to the end. Yeah. So even though the neuropsychoanalysts are on the side of Freud, you could see a return then to Jung in that. Absolutely, yes. Um, Mark Solms talks about what he calls dual-aspect monism, uh, 
saying that brain and mind are actually the same thing and it just depends on how you look at it mm. which uh, technical language you wish to uh, to utilize um, that under another name used to be called uh, dialectical identity theory of mind uh, I was influenced in that in the what, 1980 1981 by professor Stephen Rose um, that was his way of looking at things so it's a return to that and it's broadly a systems based way of looking yeah uh, at things and understanding things so the technical language you use is important this was Jung's language based on the fact that he was influenced very heavily by the philosophical traditions of the 19th and even 18th century um, and earlier and, and looking at the notion that the mind might be a separate thing or a separate substance um, certainly at a psychological level uh, the, the mind the brain the psyche can affect itself organically. It's easy to see how you can do that. You can just think yourself into a neurotic state. Anybody can do that. You can remember a stressful event in your life and you can then have a perseveration of that in your body turning up as a stress reaction. So these interactions are going on all the time. So the psychogenesis of mental disorder, yeah, for sure. Mental disease, because that implies an organic issue, yeah. an organic pathology. Most people would reject that notion now. But the fundamental message of it is important. And I say, on your journey towards ION, you need to read this and understand what you might be doing to yourself if you're not properly prepared. Okay, so volume four, Freud and Psychoanalysis. This is uh, an interesting volume for historical purposes, but don't let that put you off. History is very, very important. It gives you the context for understanding things. When Freud and Jung separated, it was a real separation. Um, and I think it's fair to say that they didn't understand one another's work fully after that time. Mm. They had a good understanding of it up to the point where they departed, but they were more interested thereafter in developing their own ideas so the vectors were separating quite markedly so the account of freud's work in this volume is more or less even when it's uh, material that was written after the separation sometimes many many years afterwards is more of jung's view of freud's work as it was at the time that he was working with him and earlier when he was working with joseph breuer it is important because it gives us an angle on Jung's character and personality and his understanding of some of the, the most important conditions that were presenting at the time. For example, hysteria. Hysteria is not a common diagnosis these days, but that doesn't matter. What it really is, underneath any category used to describe it, still exists. And it's, it's called different things these days. But the phenomenon, therefore, continues on and you'll get a good understanding of his approach towards that and it's essentially a critique of Freud from his perspective. You don't get a similar critique of Jung from Freud. So the energy gradient between them was very much from Jung towards Freud. Freud was quite content with himself. He was 19 years older than uh, Jung uh, and Jung was trying to carve his own identity separately from Freud. Also, there were a cadre of people around uh, Freud who actually set out comprehensively to ruin Jung's reputation uh, and to also do so for anybody else who defected from the early psychoanalytic circle. So in order to create his own model, Jung really had to, to push the boat out and declare himself as being something different. That's a matter of history as well in a wider context, but with respect to understanding Freud's work, you'll actually get more of an understanding of Jung by reading this, but it is part mm. of his developments, and it follows on from the previous three volumes. On your journey towards Ion, you need mm. to know this, because Ion is part of Jung's personal myth. Okay, everybody, this is volume five. This is the book that led to the separation between Jung and Freud. This is Symbols of Transformation. Originally, it was the psychology of the unconscious. Mm. This is a classical work. This is where Jung sets out his manifesto. Now, although it's commonly called, as I've just said, uh, or referred to as being the book that led to the separation, that separation wasn't sudden. It was progressive over time, and Jung clearly had his doubts about 
how closely he could affiliate himself to Freud right from the beginning. His relationship to Freud was very much um, a paternal, well, a child to a father, and this this is this is known. Everybody knows this. Uh, Jung has admitted it. It's in the Freud-Jung letters. It's a fact of history that he had a very powerful father transference onto Freud, who didn't disabuse him of that particularly, to be fair. Um, you could argue that that's a norm, if you like, for the way that the psychoanalytic method is used, uh, that they do encourage parental transferences in order to uncover the neuroses latent in the person that they're working with. And uh, Freud and Jung did work together, not in a strict analytical sense with one another, uh, but they did exchange dreams, ex exchange associations, and during that process, it was very much the case that, that Jung had to zip himself up into the Freudian body bag, if you like, and say that, yes, I'm interpreting according to psychoanalysis and everything's wonderful and it's just right. And at the same time, he was biting his, his lip really, really hard because he thought that he had experienced things in his psychiatric work at the Berg Holsley that, that Freud did not understand. That was pretty much the motivation for what he was doing. And he thought that his, his work on complexes, as in Experimental Researches, uh, Volume 2 of the Collected Works, had proven this fact that there was, or there were other factors at work in the psyche. And principally these had to do with how he saw mythological uh, symbols uh, and narratives arising in the symptoms and fantasies of unbuffered psychotics and schizophrenics. Now, I think what we can say for sure is that this is true, that you will see that you will see it in people who are psychotic. Oh, you do, absolutely. Even when they're buffered, actually. And even when they're yeah. buffered, yeah. Um, but perhaps how much more so when they're not. You yes, know, the, of course, the, uh, yeah. It's a matter of degree, yeah. It's a matter of degree. And Jung reached out, or tried to reach out, towards what he perceived to be an organising centre within the psyche of people like that, that was systematising things and making sense of it. And he applied his theory of complexes to psychosis and uh, believed that schizophrenia... Uh, or dementia precox, as it was called um, earlier on in, in the, uh, the 20th century, late 19th century, was essentially caused by complexes, hence the psychogenesis of mental disease uh, in volume three of the collected works. Now, he began to move away from Freud's model altogether. That meant that he separated from an appreciation, understanding, or even desire to promote the idea of instincts. And instead, he looked at what he believed to be archetypes. Uh, and that came up to be his theory. And Freud simply could not agree with it, although he did later accept that there were things that he called archaic remnants in the collective psyche of everyone that pointed to a primitive evolutionary adaptation to the world, and these things would emerge from the unconscious. But Freud did not elaborate it to anything like the extent that you find in here. This is elaborate. Um, and this, if you like, is the beginning of what you will find in Ion. However, there is something very important to understand. Around the time that he was putting this together, he was pulling himself apart into his creative illness, as he calls it. He was becoming psychotic, as if you like, uh, as he was writing this book. And of course, he started to write the Red Book and, and all the other things that he was doing, his work with Tony Wolfe. And you can call it his, his descent into the unconscious, or his confrontation with the unconscious, his creative illness, whatever. Out of the context of who he was, with the social status that he had, the, the role that he had as a psychiatrist, he probably would have been sectioned himself. That's important to understand. When you think back to the, um, the psychogenesis of mental disease, then you can see again, as Pauline said earlier, that the exposure to these people, these poor people who were suffering uh, in the Berg Holsey, probably opened up the fracture line that was present already yeah. before he, he went into that environment. The result was his creative illness and his attempt to ground himself firstly with this as a professional statement and a declaration of independence from Freud. And then he began to go quietly mad. So again, on your road to Ion, don't make it a road to Damascus. Don't make it a road to Basra and destroy yourself on the way. And I say don't make it a road to Damascus because you know Paul may have thought that he had an enlightenment there. But again, if someone produced that kind of uh, symbolism today in the street, they would be sectioned. You're not St. Paul. Remember that. So 
be very, very careful about how you deal with this material. Uh, don't expose yourself to it. It's not, it's not something to be frightened of, but you need to look at the primary sources that Jung was looking at. You need to look at mythology, comparative religion, anthropology, but update it because some of Jung's ideas weren't right. I won't go into detail about that because it would take too long, but you need to look at that and understand it and, and particularly look at how anthropology deals with collective representations of images and symbols um, rather necessarily than Jung. Um, although in understanding Jung, you will have to confront these other ideas, these other interpretations of Jung's material, because if you go too far that way, you will literally follow him into the so-called abyss. So be careful. Hmm. I, I could say as well, obviously, there's a uh, spoke about volume two there hmm. of, the, of the collected works. And you've also got a playlist on complexes on the YouTube channel. It's probably a good idea to go to those yes. as well first. Yes, it is. It is. I, was, I was thinking about how he's writing about complexes and then Jung produces this series of works which can generate complexes yeah. in people. And we know that, at least I, I know that from the DMs I've been receiving from people who've watched, say, the Ion series. And it's like, yeah. well how could he go from there to there? It doesn't make any sense. But that in many ways should be the point of visiting something like Ion. So yes. you don't make the same kind of mistake. It's an yes. exercise yes. in depth psychology mm. itself to understand it rather than the big mystical ideas mm. itself. So yeah, I, I, I second you, Steve. Be careful because I know what it's like. <laughs> Can I just add something to that, Joe? Yes, as well, that, that Jung would have known if he hadn't have been able to get a handle on what was happening to him. And obviously, you know, he, he was... Um, surrounded by people he was fortunate enough to be surrounded by people who could maybe assist him and, and, and help help him through those times but he would have known too that had he not been able to do that that someone like the Berkholsley would have been his fate as well yes it was. he yeah, would yeah. have absolutely yeah. known that so yeah. he, he probably drew on all the resources that he had mm. to tackle what he was going through in a different way yeah. and I guess the value of, of Jung here and I, I certainly found that when I was working in psychiatry is is that idea of giving meaning to suffering of it being a creative illness because that that, that is so opposed really yeah. to the biomedical view of things it that it, it, it is um it is a perspective yeah. and a valuable perspective yeah. but as I say he would have known had he not been able to address things differently that he would have gone the way of those poor people who yeah. were in there and like you say on buffered and uh, he, he would have known his fate oh he would yeah yeah that's a really good point to emphasize. Mm. Um, and a lot of people these days don't understand that that will be their fate if yes, they're not careful. Yes, if they dabble and, and in this and they get if, themselves yeah, sectioned. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not nice, is No, it? it isn't. You may have ECT waiting for you. Yeah. Amongst other things, you may have a very, very long course of SSRIs from yeah. which you may not be able to escape waiting for you. Yes. Um, and given the, uh, the pressure in the environment and the culture at the moment, those cultural pressures... You know, if you have any fracture line at all, you'll be open to the suggestion of those cultural forces and pressures, yeah. and that might cause an issue. So you have to be really, really careful about that. Yeah, yeah. just like he was. Yeah, yeah, exactly it's a, it's a, the same dynamic. Isn't exactly it? the same. Yeah. So be very, very careful about imitating Young in yeah. any in any sense at all, because you might literally go that way and not be able to pull yourself back. Yeah. Um, there are people on the internet, the well known, who have exposed themselves to these ideas, and they're in a mess. Uh, it's not difficult to see how that's happened, mm. particularly if you understand the context of their life, mm. in other words, of their personal mm. mythology, and see how that's worked negatively um, for them. Okay, everybody, this is uh, one of the famous ones, Volume 6, Psychological Types. This is, uh, again, a very, very important work. And what we're left with today is the Myers-Briggs, in one form or another. Either the Myers-Briggs as it presents today, or the different variations of it in the past, and then the ramifications off from it where people have tried to modify it, develop it, or whatever. But fundamentally, the Myers-Briggs is the dominant form of Jungian-based um, psychological testing in the world. It's the most popular personality test ever, bar none. And mm. it will probably remain that way because it's so well marketed. And in the sense that it appears to give some kind of reward, if you like, for the people who take it. There are issues over its test, retest and construct validity. Uh, I'd be happy to look at that again with Paul mm. and with James. Some of the criticisms are valid, some are not, because they don't understand the underlying theory of it. However, all of that said, and going back to the book, 
This book has nothing in and of itself to do with Myers-Briggs. Nothing. Uh, Jung never validated it, never commented upon it. Um, this is all about why Jung created his theory of types, and it's all about Jung. It's not about anybody else particularly, except mm. his relationship to Freud and to Alfred Adler. Mm. He wanted to understand why his model had turned out differently to Freud's and also Adler. And he says so um, in this book. This is a slight aside, but it does have relevance. This, uh, this is published as Young on Elementary Psychology, a discussion between C.G. Young and Richard L. Evans, who was a professor of psychology at Houston. This is available as a video series of interviews. Many people have probably seen it uh, on YouTube. And uh, Young is very clear about how his typological model came into being. What you get in here, or I, I would say, and I, I, I don't yes. know if you'd agree, Paul, you, you yes. actually, what you see in here is what mm. you actually see in the real world. Yes, I'd agree. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to how it's distorted by the various type tests. Yes. Mm. And you do see something very different in the real world. You do. You do. You yeah. do indeed. Um, you do see, for example, people who are pure attitude types, Definitely. and you can't really distinguish whether they are thinking, feeling, sensing, or intuitive. They're just extroverted or introverted, mm. and that's it. And they'll be moving very quickly between the different so-called, these days, cognitive functions. Jung didn't call them cognitive functions uh, himself. You'll then see somebody who is, uh, say, a thinking type, in one of those attitudes, introverted or extroverted, but you can't really say anything else about them. There's no clear so-called auxiliary function, tertiary or inferior function. Mm -hmm. Jung does talk about those things, but he does also talk about these pure types, and that's why it's important not to skip over that and look at the other things, because that's somehow you can blend that with Myers-Briggs or any one of its, its variations. So, yeah, it's important to understand then that the, the only purpose of this book was for Jung to try to understand himself that was it. Everything else after that was an add-on to that primary thing, which was, why have I come up with my model? And he, he came up with the solution, which was echoed, if you like, from Nietzsche, because Nietzsche himself suggested that you know all schools of philosophy were personal statements. Mm. Jung said that all schools of psychology were personal statements of their founders too. In other words, it was their personal myth, their personal equation. He regarded Freud as being a sensing type uh, and also a feeling type. He regarded himself as being predominantly thinking, uh, backed up by uh, intuition, and that he was introverted. He didn't say that his intuition, for example, was extroverted. He just said, you know, I'm an introverted type and I'm characterised by thinking and then secondarily by intuition. That's all he said. But people have tried to twist that to fit a Myers-Briggs programme, either INTP or INTJ, whatever. Mm -hmm. He didn't say that about himself. And if anybody understood his own theory, surely it was him better than anybody else. So again, go here before you go near ION and add this to all the previous volumes uh, and put it into context. Um, there's there's a, a Jungian type test, the original, the Grey Wheelwright. Yes, I was just thinking about that, actually, because we were talking about Joe Wheelwright the other day. We were, yeah, we were. Yeah. Uh, on our, an earlier one that uh, podcast that we did. Mm. Um, he doesn't... And his test measured the J and the P function no. at all. You are an attitude type and you have a dominant and an auxiliary function. Yeah. But he, do, he doesn't provide the fourth letter. There are three letters. And that's very close, very close to how Jung himself describes things here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, in the real world, it gets very, very complicated. Far more complicated than the complexity upon complexity even the, than you get with Myers-Briggs and its various ramifications. Because you're dealing with real people, you're not dealing with abstractions that you overlay grid-like upon a real human being and distort them into this very neat quaternity, which Jung was very fond of, of course, uh, shape uh, between the different so-called functions. Uh, th there's more to it than that, of course. He, d he, does, he does go into depth about the balance between functions, but I I'm emphasising the things that people don't normally emphasise yeah. that are overlooked, because you'll learn far more there than you, perhaps you might think that you will. Well, if you watch somebody like Joe Wheelwright speaking, yeah. the, the, the takeaway from that is that you see somebody who has a kind of warm intuition, but beyond that, 
you know, can you be any more specific? I think yeah. not personally. Yeah. And that's what you see empirically. Yeah. There's somebody with lots and lots of ideas, but he, he's 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 very warm and very effusive and yeah. um, has good yeah. rapport with people. Yeah. And it's as if those two things are conjoined. And are both extroverted. And they're both ex. Yes. Yeah. They're both delivered in that way. So how can that be? Yeah. If you stick to a rigid model of things. Yeah, because but that's what you see. That's what you see, because according to Myers Briggs, his intuition should be introverted. Yes. And it isn't. Yeah. Um interesting. Yeah, it gets you thinking of it nothing does. else. It does. Yeah. So yeah, another landmark volume. Mm. Um if you believe in the Myers Briggs, that's fine, that's up to you. Uh but this should be a starting point and then test Myers Briggs against this mm. and then more importantly against real life. Yes without imposing a theory upon the people that you encounter. Okay. You stop. two always confuse me with type. Is, is this the one topic you always confuse me on? Because <laughs> one minute it's like, well, here's classic Myers-Briggs, and the next it's like, it's all fake, it doesn't exist, and the world is a lie. <laughs> oh, I, I, th I think there is value in it, James, I really do. We kind of play devil's advocate a bit because people mm. get so hooked up on, on categories. Mm. But if you know, if you'd have been steeped in the grey wheel rise and not in the MBTI, mm. oh, yeah, you yeah, never known about the MBTI, you would have a different perspective on it. But I think in broad terms, it, there's definitely something in it, mm. without a doubt. Yes. So, so what could you then slot um, Mr. Mr. Wheelwright into one of those? You know, if, if, if he was an IPSA student when he came along, you know? Would you be like you just present as you present, and you're yeah. a, bit, a bit of a weirdo? He would in his uh, typology. He would be. Is this we're going to include this? His we might as well. Yeah. Yeah. In, yes. in his typology, he would be E U F. They call intuition That's U. Right. They use the uh, U you, in, in get, the word intuition. Yes, you, yeah. you'd get the attitude uh, letter at the beginning. In his case, it would be an E followed by a U and then and F. Mm. Yeah. But it wouldn't say which of those was dominant no. or auxiliary because they're both in that attitude type, mm. and that was the important thing. And it's what you see. Mm. With him, and you you'll, you'll see that with other people as well, won't you? Very often. So, what, what, what in, in, in your model of typology, would you give him a series of letters, or would you just leave it? Would you just say, I'd have to. Uh, well, it's a, good, it's a good question. I'm sorry I didn't, or we didn't answer mm. it. Um, I would say the he is what he is, mm. and uh, if we force him into ENFJ or ENFP, well, that's, what, that's the direction yeah. in which you'd have to go if you wanted to fit him into. Mm. And that's a distortion. Mm. Yeah. That's a distortion. Yeah. Um, probably ENFJ. You'd have to say that he moves between to. the two, wouldn't yes. you? That's the yes. only other way you could explain yeah. it, that sometimes, uh, you know, functionally he's an ENFJ and other times functionally he's an ENFP. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that, that's included in, like, the um, the yeah. lectures or the seminars that we give to the IPSA students. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it simplifies things yes. to think of it, um, you know, in the way that you've just described, Steve, doesn't it, yeah. with uh, the, the U and the F? Yeah, he's, he's an just attitude type with, with preference for two functions. Yeah. And that, that's it. Yeah. Because mm. that's what you see. Mm. But that's not a Myers-Briggs diagnosis, if you like, no. or no. classification. It just no. doesn't happen. No. And any further elaboration by saying he's got an inner demon and a what? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. forget it. Yeah. yeah please, yeah. just get real. Have a real life. I pressed a button on myself then. Did you notice that? <laughs> <laughs> also, suggesting press the button. You know. Anyway. I mean, there's no doubt complexes play a part, and sometimes complex oh, yes, answer yes. type tests on your behalf. Yeah. yeah. That is true. Yes. Which is which I think is a useful elaboration of things, but mm. to go into like you say all the trickster and demon stuff and that is just getting yeah. away from the point. Yeah. Mm. This is. Uh, a very, very important book. Two essays, it's called. Long essays. Two essays on analytical psychology. Within that, you're getting the systematization in a very familiar way to most people probably with Jung's model, but you're also getting something of a, a summary of, ha of where he's come up to this point. Uh, he discusses the Eros theory, which is Freud, and then the will to power, which is Ardler, the other point of view, as he describes this. Uh, and then he, he goes on about his theory of the unconscious and, 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 and typology. And so this is a really good place uh, to go at this point in the journey on the road to Ion because you can see how Jung's ideas have become comfortable to him and he's crystallised out what would become his benchmark approach and understanding of things. So it's uh, whence he's come from and whither he is going uh, is all 
prefigured and configured within this particular volume. So it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's not the place to start, though. It's not the place to start. You do need to start with volume one. So two essays on analytical psychology. Again, a very important volume. One of my favourites, actually. Is it? Yeah. Oh, good, good. Yes. It's very useful for um, going in and finding definitions for things as well. It's yes. a very, very grounding work. You talked about ego inflation and things like that yes. in there as well. There's bits on the anima and the animus as yes. well. Um, it's good. It's not, 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 not too long either. No, it's not, it's, it's not too long. So I, as I was suggesting, it's a crystallisation of mm. his model and, and what he's developed up until that point. So, yeah, it, it's good. But, you know, if you start with that, you know, uh, it, it's decontextualised. It would be. A lot would also put you off in there as well. Yeah. Especially some of the more historical stuff that's just dropped on top of you. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a good volume. One of my favourites too, actually. But mm. it was. Get that on a T-shirt. <laughs> well, it was one of my favourites. <laughs> or it was. <laughs> Two essays on analytical psychology club. Represent... Yeah. Okay guys, The Structure and Dynamics of the Psyche, Volume 8. This follows on very nicely from Volume 7. It builds upon it. You, you'll get things in here, concepts in here like synchronicity, uh, there's a review of uh, complex uh, theory, there's so much that's of value for the serious Jungian scholar uh, and even for a Jungian therapist or a Jungian-based therapist in here, provided that you also understand everything that's gone before. Uh, but yes, it is a good volume. Without going into great detail, because it is a thick volume, as I say, most of the, the major topics are covered in here. But again, this is all before ION. If you miss this out and go straight to ION, you're lost. You may as well be wandering in a desert for 40 years, Yes. you know, led by some internet prophet. You know, um, before you, you, you wake up and realise you've been going in the wrong direction. So you, you need these previous eight volumes even before you get onto volume nine, part one, which again is an essential precursor to ION. Uh, but this builds on volume seven. Uh, and again, it covers many of the foundational uh, issues, um, such as the soul and death, for example, the idea about reincarnation, or, or all, of, all of the really deep stuff that, that Jung was into that has meaning in that sense for people uh, who are searching for meaning in their life. So yes, I would definitely recommend this. In fact, in my view, it's a better, more practical and more usable work than Ion itself, far, far mm. and away better, if you're of a Jungian orientation. Okay, everybody, Volume 9, Part 1, The Archetypes and the Collective Unconscious. People often get that name wrong, by the way. It's very rare people get it right. People Which, normally say the archetypes of the collective yes. unconscious. Yes. Yes, you're right, you do. Yeah. Well, people get a lot of things wrong, don't they? That's, that's unfortunately why we're doing this. Um, anyway, within here, you will get individuation spelt out. You'll get the use of mandalas. Everything that, which again is is a continuation of what we had in volume eight and volume seven. Everything flows logically up until this point. Ion is a departure, but if you're not prepared by understanding this and you're determined to go into Ion, you will be missing something. So don't start with it. Don't start with Ion. And I keep repeating myself on that, but this is important if you are a person who is just interested in Jung from a philosophical perspective. Uh, if you're a psychotherapist, to be honest, in the real world, this is beginning to go into the infrared and then out of sight <laughs> because yeah. uh, of the spectrum of reality in terms of working with people. Mandalas, yes, you can work with them. Yes, individuation is a real thing. But the way that they're described and resolved down by Jung into a, a, a specific uh, perspective is highly individual to this man and his journey. Mm. You must understand that. It was his containing vessel for his own illness, wasn't it, really? Yes, it, it, it to be seen in that way. Yes, yes, it was. It's, it's the product of everything that went before yeah. it. And this is a precursor to Ion in the same sense that John the Baptist was to Jesus. This predicts Ion. This is like building up to the point where Ion becomes necessary for him, almost like a catharsis uh, with respect to his... Uh, relationship to his father and particularly to his religious complex mm -hmm. which which he got from his father which works itself through in ion uh, so that's what was meant about it going into the infrared and about to disappear away from practical reality there are some practical things in here but they're over labored 
Um, to take Mandalas out of the originating culture does do some violence to them. It mm. does. Um, and I know he discusses them in the originating culture, but Jungians interpret that differently. They use that the, the original... Uh, culture as a justification for what they do with mandalas and that's where they can be criticized uh, basically on the epistemological foundation of what they're doing um, that, that that's a discussion for another day because we would have to go into it very deeply mm. uh, but basically the message is build upon everything that went before and see this as John the Baptist to Ion's Jesus this is the precursor this is the work that people will sometimes ignore in the rush to get to Ion, mm. for whatever reason. I'm quite fond of that work, to be honest, Steve. Mm. Not for any clinical reason, but it's, it's what you would think classic Jung would be. Oh, yes, it is. In the culture. Mm. But then that's also the problem, because somebody's mm. immediate presumption of what Jung would be, for example, this, mm. does come from the way his name is put about all over yes, the place. Yes, it does. Yeah. And, and, and so I guess to sort of wrap up this particular, um, like part one of this particular series, it's like that's what we're trying to do with mm. this, is to buffer people against the... Um, quite frankly, dangerous complexes that yeah. can be formed through exposure to these material. Yeah. Because Jung, as a man and a clinician, who, as a normal human being who lived his own life in, in his own time, yeah. suddenly becomes, well, you've got Joseph Campbell, who inspired George Lucas, and then Star Wars comes out of that, and then you've got someone like Jordan Peterson coming out of the culture and saying, look at this, his ion, isn't everything so strange? It's like, um, no, not necessary. And I think, even though this is entertaining, I think the beauty of Jung is in those early works. Because oh, yeah, that actually yeah. makes a yeah. difference. It, it does, and not everybody wants to be a therapist, but lots of people are trying to be a self-therapist. Yes, yes. And, and uh, that's what personal development is all about, is that you're doing therapy on yourself. That can only go so far, though, before you have to work with other people to escape from yourself. Mm. Uh, and the inflation that comes about quite naturally from working too much on yourself and particularly if you borrow uh, a corpus of work like this and interject it in what are you bringing with it unless you work with other people you can't test your own hypothesis of yourself against anything there's no objective relationship or personality this isn't this is not a person it's a book mm. it's not the personality so it gives you an impression of it but it is not young himself it's just some of his his writings bundled together that exists in the culture that you can refer to but how you refer to it is key to how you navigate through that mm. so if you're into personal development which is self-therapy you will only get so far with that and you will inevitably move towards being a philosopher and that, that's a trap in and of itself particularly the way that philosophy has been for the past 300 years mm. in the west um, we see a lot of people who are failed or misfired philosophers and that term misfired philosopher is one that Jung used himself and that many philosophers are actually misfired psychologists he also said that mm. so if you're going to follow Jung you have to criticise yourself you have to criticise your own world view and you have to criticise Jung as well within his context that will give you some protection against what can be scooped up with these kind of ideas and pulled in so there we go the first part of our surface structure analysis of the Bollingen series of Jung's collected works then we will approach Ion ready for the Ion revisited series courtesy of James mm -hmm. but we have something else to discuss as well don't we yes we do we do indeed. We started Young to Live By back in February or so. And since then, it's grown to be quite a substantial community, especially over on the Discord server. And of course, in the YouTube comments as well. Mm. It's, it's, I really like it. I really, really like it. So thank you, everyone, of course, for you know, not just tuning in, but helping to support yeah. us. And so the most highly requested thing by far ever on the channel is for a full explication of the personal myth. And so that's what you're working very hard on mm -hmm. at the moment, Steve, is a full guide, the ultimate handbook, yep. one might say, on on how you can do the, the ultimate form of self-analysis. Now, I don't want to inflate you because, obviously, we've been talking about protecting ourselves from that kind of thing. But I do think in many ways it is that it's what psychotherapy has been waiting for. Many mm -hmm. figures come along to try and distill ideas down and bring it into the reach of ordinary people, you yep. might say. But that was your two's promise to Franz Jung back yes. in 1992. Yes. So you're doing it with the films, but it's like, well, how mm. are you going to do that 
elsewhere where yep. you've got these podcasts, but also how do you take the most healing parts of the psychotherapeutic canon to give to somebody else in a safe containing vessel that they can actually use to be useful? Yes. And so that's what this attempt is. <clears throat> and from yeah. what I've, I've seen and heard so far, it's looking very, very good. Yeah, it's the distillation of real world practice um, for ordinary people who've never heard of Carl Jung. Uh, this is where this experience originated and didn't want to know about Carl Jung, but who were suffering um, and had suffered terribly in their lives. They can still access this approach to personal mythology, but the, the guide will have an analysis of Jung's personal myth mm. at the end. Uh, so for those of you who are followers of Jung's work, it will give you a dialectical prompt to test yourself against and reject uh, what's in there, if you wish, by all means, please do. Um, but the invitation will be for you to pressure test yourself against these ideas which have been distilled out of over 40 years of personal experience working with people in the real world. That's hugely important. The first part of it is gonna be how to do it in the real world. The middle part is going to be all of the theory that you need to understand and to test against to see whether the theory itself holds any water. The theory being the justification for the real world mm. practice. Then at the end, there's Jung's personal myth uh, and an analysis of that. So put together, that will be a pretty effective document. Mm. Mm. So you can, uh, if you're watching now in the present moment-ish, then you can you can pre-order the guide at the current time through the link in the description down below. Or if you're a visitor from the future, hello, it will already be released. So there's no need to worry and wait. So thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. See you next time. The Personal Myth Ultimate Handbook is now available for pre-order for release on January 7th, 2021. For anyone who has a yearning deep in their very genome to become who they truly feel they should be, this guide is utterly indispensable. Pick up your copy today and make 2021 the year you truly begin to become yourself.